This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis and Los Angeles, and produced in the studios of WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 780 for release on Sunday, February 4th, 2024. On WaveScan today, call signs, part one mixed letters and numbers. Opening comments from the High Frequency Coordination Conference, the A24 Conference in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and our Japan DX report from Yukiko Tsuji. What is the origin for the system of radio station call signs that are in use throughout the world today? How come some stations are identified with just alphabetic letters only, and other stations are identified with both numbers and letters? Well, Ray Robinson has been digging into this history, and he has more now from Los Angeles. Thanks, Jeff. Way back 180 years ago, in the early days of telegraphy by Morse code, the operators at each station that was connected by telegraph wire used a simple abbreviation to identify the sending station, rather than laboriously spelling out the location name. The usage of many abbreviations enabled the operators to send their messages more quickly. Some 50 years later, when wireless stations were erected for the transmission of messages by Morse code, the same procedures were followed. That is, the usage of as many abbreviations as possible, including an abbreviation for the sending location. Some abbreviations for the locations of very early wireless stations were quite logical, such as, for example, CC for Cape Cod, Massachusetts, FL for the Eiffel Tower in Paris, SF for San Francisco, and GB for Glace Bay in Nova Scotia, Canada. However, due to the number of wireless stations proliferating throughout the world, most of the abbreviations in use for the locations of wireless stations bore no resemblance to the actual location. So, for example, we had EX for Los Angeles, SN for Cordova, Alaska, UA for Nantes in France, and DF for Santa Barbara, California. There was also another DF in Vancouver, British Columbia. In an endeavour to regulate this confusing system of random choices, an international wireless convention was held in Berlin in 1906. This was the second international convention in Berlin that addressed the need for the regularization of the newly developing wireless scene that began with the work of the famous Italian Guglielmo Marconi. At this 1906 wireless convention, a system of alphabetic designations was allocated for all countries throughout the world. For example, transmitter call signs beginning with G were allocated to Great Britain, V to British colonies, F to France and French colonies, I to Italy, J to Japan, and KN and W to the USA. There was a third international wireless convention held in London, England on April 23, 1913. 
even though this event was staged mainly to address the wireless scene in Europe, delegates from the United States also attended and participated. One of the important matters looked at on this occasion was the identification of amateur and experimental wireless stations which were beginning to proliferate in many countries. However, because the coverage area from these lower-powered operations was considered to be quite local, it was decided to implement a different system of identification. The decision reached was to introduce a system of numbers and letters, with the initial number indicating the geographic location. Single numbers were chosen for each of the participating countries in Europe back in 1913 as follows. Luxembourg was assigned number 1, the United Kingdom was assigned numbers 2, 5 and 6, Germany was assigned number 4, Denmark number 7, France number 8 and Holland number 0. The major determining factor at the 1913 convention was that the initial digit number in a call sign indicated a specific geographic area. At that stage in Europe, the initial number indicated a specific country. Likewise, when the American delegates returned home, the governmental authorities decided to implement a similar system in the United States using the numbers 1 through 9, with each number indicating a specific cluster of states. North of the border in Canada, they soon implemented a similar system with an initial digit assigned to each province. The same numeric scheme was also implemented in the South Pacific. Australia chose the numbers 2 through 9, indicating each separate state, as well as nearby Papua and New Guinea. New Zealand chose the numbers 1 through 4, indicating major geographic areas in the Twin Island country, beginning with 1 at the top of the North Island and ending with 4 at the bottom of the South Island. When radio broadcasting was introduced in England, this same numeric system was implemented according to the action taken at the Third International Convention in London in 1913. The first radio broadcasting station was 2MT at Rittle, a Marconi experimental station launched in Essex, northeast of London, in February 1922. Next on the list came 2LO in London three months later. However, in the list of the 22 introductory radio broadcasting stations in England from 1922 to 1925, there seems to be little apparent logic in the choice of the initial digit, whether it was a 2 or a 5 or a 6. Likewise, there was little apparent logic in the two letters of the alphabet that made up the remainder of the call sign. Obvious call signs in Great Britain during this era were 2BE in Belfast, Northern Ireland, 5WA in Wales at Cardiff, and 6ST in Stoke-on-Trent. However, in view of the fact that so many of the other call signs in England during this early era seemed to be almost randomly assigned, it's probably the case that calls were chosen that were not already taken up by amateur radio operators. Even to this day, all amateur radio stations throughout the world are identified according to a mixture of letters and numbers. The initial alphabetic digits indicate the country, and the following numeric digits usually indicate regions within that country. Likewise with the countries that have retained a similar system for the call signs of radio broadcasting stations. In Australia, the initial number still indicates the state, and the following two letters identify the station and quite often also the location. For example, 2BH is located in Broken Hill, New South Wales, 4TI on Thursday Island in Queensland, 6XM in Exmouth, Western Australia, and 8AL is in Alice Springs, Northern Territory. 
Well, next week here in WaveScan, we'll take a further look at the interesting story regarding the usage of radio call signs throughout the world. And on this next occasion, it'll be the interesting story specifically of shortwave call signs. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray. That was Ray Robinson at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. Well, I have just recently returned from the A24 High Frequency Coordination Conference in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. That's where shortwave frequency schedules are planned for the A24 broadcast season that begins on March 31st. Over the next few weeks or so, we'll be telling you a lot about that meeting. Today, we start with a recording of the opening remarks that took place on January 15th. The MC was Jerome Irigoyen of Telediffusion de France. I'm happy to introduce this A24 conference. First, thank you for Dr. Vessel Bimbe, Director of Technology, represents the ASEAN Pacific Broadcasting Union hosting this conference. Dr. Bimbe is not available to be here in person, but is online for a short introduction. Dr. Bimbe, please. Uh, thank you, thank you, Jerome, and good morning, esteemed colleagues, distinguished guests, and fellow members of the HFCC and ABU. Uh, while I re regret not being able to uh, join you in person in there, I am grateful to uh, for, for the opportunity to address you virtually. Today, we stand at the cusp of exciting transformations in the world of international broadcasting, as you know. The A24 conference, a pivotal event uh, for the HFCC and hostess jointly with uh, us, with ABU, as usual, symbolizes our collective commitment to advancing global communication throughout shortwave broadcasting. As we navigate the complexities of the digital age, our mission remains clear to ensure that the shortwave broadcasting continues to be able to reliable accessible medium for millions for worldwide. This medium, which has transcended geographical and political barriers for decades, remains vital in, the er in an era where digital divides and information censorship are, are prevalent. Our agenda for this conference is both challenging and promising. We aim to refine our frequency coordination efforts, embrace technological advancements and foster a spirit of collaboration that is transcends boundaries, which is important. As the, uh, as the director of technology, I am particularly excited about the potential of integrating newer digital technology, technologies with traditional shortwave broadcasting. This integration is not just about enhance, enhancing signal quality or expanding reach. It's about ensuring that our content remains relevant, impactful, and accessible to all, irrespective of their location or resources. In conclusion, I urge that I urge of us approach this conference with open minds and collaborative spirits as always. Let's work together to uphold the principles of free, air, free and fair broadcasting, to innovate responsibility, and to carry forward the legacy of shortwave broadcasting in the future. Thank you, and I wish you, I wish us, us all the product, productive and successful conference. Thank you. Thank you very much. I ask now Mr. Uh, Jeff White, Chairman of HFCC. Thank you. Salamat pagi. Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to the uh, A22 
Global Shortwave Coordination Conference here in uh, Kuala Lumpur. I can't remember how many times we've met here in KL now, but it's always a pleasure to come back and enjoy the Malaysian hospitality and food. Um, thanks very much to the Asia Pacific Broadcasting Union for offering to host this conference once again. Uh, this morning, I'd like to tell you a little bit about a meeting I attended last month, along with uh, several of the people who are uh, in this room today. It was the 2023 annual meeting of the U.S. National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, NESB, which is an associate member of the HFCC. The meeting took place uh, December 1st to 4th on board a cruise ship sailing from Miami to an island called Ocean Key in the Bahamas. Now, how can you hold a meeting on board a cruise ship, you might ask? Well, actually, it's very easy. The, uh, most of the modern cruise ships today have meeting rooms that can accommodate large and small groups. They have audiovisual equipment like we do here. Uh, meals and some of the drinks are all included in the price, which is often much less than just the cost of a hotel room on dry land. So uh, everyone had access to satellite to high-speed internet, uh, so we were able to show websites, PowerPoints, and video presentations. Uh, we even had a uh, live Zoom meeting with uh, Ray Robinson, who was at uh, uh, one of the NASB and HFCC member stations, Voice of Hope, in, in California. I see he's joining us uh, uh, this morning on Zoom also. Uh, one of the speakers at the meeting was uh, Tim Whitehead, Executive Director of Galcom International in Canada. They make fixed-tuned uh, solar-powered shortwave receivers for primarily religious broadcasters that are on AM, FM, or shortwave frequencies. And this is this is one of their, their new radios that they produce. It's um, uh, the, the whole backside is solar-powered, and you can program up to I think five different frequencies in it. Uh, any combination of shortwave, medium wave, and, uh, and FM. This is the, the antenna. <laughs> Jerome here, uh, Irigoyen from TDF, was also uh, at the NASB meeting, and uh, he gave a talk about TDF's uh, DRMcast project, where they transmit a DRM signal from their Isidon shortwave site, which is picked up by a DRM receiver and rebroadcast uh, via Wi-Fi in places like could be on a ship at sea or a or a rural village in, in Africa. Uh, it can be used for educational and emergency purposes, among others. Uh, Amado Abenahar, who is also with us today, uh, of World Christian Broadcasting, was at the meeting, and uh, his CEO, Andy Baker, gave a presentation about their two shortwave stations, KNLS in Alaska and uh, Madagascar World Voice in uh, Africa. Marcel Romertz, a shortwave listener and an FM station owner from the Netherlands, spoke about the 2023 conference of the European DX Council, EDXC, which took place uh, last September in Metz in northeast France. Uh, the group visited radio stations in France and Germany during the meeting, and they saw a presentation about Radio Luxembourg as well. Uh, there was also talk about Radio for Peace International in France, which recently became an HFCC member. Marcel also talked about shortwave broadcasting and listening in Europe and shared some of his personal observations about the future of shortwave on that continent. Uh, he and others pointed out that as we move into uh, 2024 now, uh, the world is unfortunately experiencing wars and conflicts, tensions and political instability and extremism uh, all over the globe. 
And shortwave radio is one way to improve international communication and may become even more important now in view of uh, all of these crises and uh, hopefully will become part of the solution. We also heard at the NESB meeting about uh, recent surveys of uh, the shortwave audience in 25 countries that were carried out by the uh, USAGM, uh, showing regular audiences of up to 8% of the adult population in, in some of those 25 countries, amounting to as much as uh, 20 million listeners a week in, in one country. Gerhard Straub, who recently retired from USAGM as head of the Broadcast Technologies Division, gave a presentation about their relay sites and about his own experiences as a traveling radio engineer over the years. Gerhard shared some of his personal observations gained during decades of experience in, in shortwave broadcasting. He said he's, he's heard the criticism that shortwave is too expensive, but he said that during his tenure at USAGM, the cost of just two hours a day of shortwave broadcasting would only amount to 0.01% of the agency's annual budget. Uh, and as he said, the infrastructure and the content already exists. Gerhard said that he's also heard the argument that there are no shortwave receivers out there, but he doesn't believe that one either. Yeah, he did search for shortwave receivers on amazon.com, which yielded over 20 pages of results. He acknowledged that not everyone has access to Amazon, but he said not everyone has access to the internet either, which is uh, another reason why shortwave radio is so, so important. He said even his local hardware store has shortwave receivers on the shelf. And all over the world, people are saying that they have shortwave receivers in their homes and basements, and, and they're listening to them. So shortwave radio is still important, and it still has a bright future, I think. Uh, at the EDXC conference in Europe, a committee was formed to identify some fresh marketing approaches to promote international radio, to rekindle the activity of international radio listening, and maybe get some younger people involved in, in shortwave listening as well. A couple of weeks ago after the NASB meeting, uh, Gerhard Straub told me that his wife, Barbara, who had come with him on the NASB cruise last month, uh, she found some of the talks about shortwave listening so interesting that after the meeting, she said she'd like to have a shortwave receiver. So he bought her a portable shortwave radio for Christmas, and he said he was happy to report that there is now one more new shortwave listener in the world. And that's a good news story. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Jeff. Good idea to make a cruise for us to see discuss. So let's go now to the ISBU representative, Mr. Moshen Goman, please. Good morning, uh, everyone. So uh, on behalf of uh, ASBU, we welcome all the members in this HFCC global meeting. Uh, we thank all steering uh, board members for their continuous effort and mainly ABU staff for hosting this A24 conference, and we welcome also the ITU representative. So we had no illusion that uh, there have been massive changes in the, in the people's media consumption behavior. The move to the non-linear has been growing uh, exponentially in the last few uh, uh, years, but the linear uh, remains the dominant media for many years to come. The rights of free 
to air information uh, give the shortwave the power to reach in every corner of the world uh, without filtering nor influencing. So many ASBU members will remain using the broadcast of shortwaves for years to come. So ASBU is supporting its members and the radio, they also, uh, ASBU is supporting its members for digitization of the radio. And for example, we have uh, made a big achievement on the DAB plus uh, specification on all, and we are also supporting DRM radio service. And digital radio now in uh, the Arab world is, is growing and uh, having his, uh, he is in the good road. So finally, we wish all the best for your coordination work and we hope that you enjoy your stay in uh, such a beautiful Kuala Lumpur and Malaysia. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Moshem. Thank you very much for all these persons. Uh, now we can start the opening plenary. So for this conference, 63 members registered to attend in person this meeting. It's a good score. It's three times more the last conference in Kuala Lumpur when the COVID uh, period started. So I can say that uh, shortwave is stronger than the COVID. <laughs> Jerome Irigoyen of TDF in France moderating the opening session of the HFCC A24 shortwave conference in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Now to Tokyo, Japan, here's Yuki Kutsuji. Welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshi Otake and I'm Yuki Kutsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. Vatican Radio via Tinan, Philippines, was heard on 15490 kHz on January 12th from 1510 to the sign-off at 1530 UTC in Malayalam. SIO rating was 353. Talk program and hymn were on the air. ID and interval signal were given at 1529. Radio Thailand was heard on 9385 kHz on January 3rd from the sign-on at 1200 to the sign-off at 1230 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. National news was broadcast followed by global news at 1214 and business news at 1225. Radio Saudi International was heard on 15285 kHz on January 2nd from 0543 to 0612 UTC in Indonesian. SIO rating was 453. Talk program and news were aired. ID was given at 0600. Dengue Gale via Tashkent, Uzbekistan was received on 11545 kHz on January 2nd from 0620 to the sign-off at 0700 UTC in Kurdish. SIO rating was 353. Songs and the talk program were on the air. ID was given at 0659. This frequency was switched to 11520 kHz at 0700. Adventist World Radio via Moosbrunn, Austria was heard on 
15145 kilohertz on January 3rd from 0810 to the sign off at 0830 UTC. SIO rating was 454. Talk program and hymn in French were broadcast. BBC World Service via Santa Maria di Galleria, Vatican, was heard on 21630 kilohertz on January 1st from 0701 to the sign off at 0729 UTC in French. SIO rating was 252. Discussion by two men was on the air. The parallel frequency 12095 kilohertz was SIO rating 252. VOA via Botswana was heard on 4930 kHz on January 7th from 1910 to 2010 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. The hits program was broadcast until 2000. The news and music time in Africa followed after that. WMLK from Bethel, USA was received on 9275 kilohertz on December 20th from 2140 to the sign off at 2200 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. Religious talk was on the air until 2158. Then ID and music were played. Radio Havana, Cuba was heard on 11760 kilohertz on January 1st. From 2202 to 2225 UTC in Spanish. SIO rating was 151, then up to 252. News was broadcast until 2210, then ID and jazz program followed after that. Finally, Japan Showtub Club issued QSO cards for the correct reports on a segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSO card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl.live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl.live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44, Kamakura, which is K A M A. K U R A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we would like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Tetsuya Toriumi, and Mr. Chiaki Shimada for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Showtub Club. And to add Wave Scan today, we have Chinese Year of the Dragon New Year music. Thanks for listening to Wave Scan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week, we'll have call signs part two shortwave call signs. More from the HFCC A24 conference in Malaysia. And our Philippine DX report from Henry Umahai. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, 
Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to The Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is bible at awr.org. Or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 